So, on the, in the first and second service, I spoke about a revival generation, what the people of God need to do. So, a little recap, we need to remember the love that God has given us, and out of the gratitude of our heart, the thankfulness of our heart, we obey God, all right? When we obey God, we radiate in the world, and when we radiate in the world, we shine God's glory, we shine God's glory. So today, that was, that was the first and second service. That is the perspective of the children of Israel, our perspective. Today, I'll be talking about the perspective of God. So today, the title is A Jealous God. And we'll, we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15 to 31. Now, this is not a topic you would normally hear in a church you know, but here, I believe there is something to be caught in this topic, and we, as the church, need to catch it. So before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your worship. We thank you, Lord, for your awesome presence in this place. We ask, Lord, that you would breathe life into your word, Lord, that it will speak to us, Lord, that it will hit our hearts, Lord, and be rooted well in our hearts, Lord and that it will grow, it will germinate into something beautiful, Lord. So, Lord, hide me behind the cross right now as I deliver your message, Lord. Lord, let your word go forth, Lord, and do not come back void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the main verse in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where we, where we see God is a jealous God, is in verse 23 and 24. So, you can have the slides, verse 23 and 24. Okay, can we all read this together? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. One, two, three. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that He made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And this is the main passage that I will be speaking on. And this is where the idea of a jealous God came about. So God is a jealous God. That's interesting, right? That's very interesting. But jealousy is one of the character traits that you usually do not picture God having, right? We always hear of God being a loving God, a loving Father, a faithful God, a powerful God, a just and merciful God, all the good stuff. Not so much about jealousy, because it's such a humanly trait. But do you know that it is mentioned in the Bible 25 times, 25 times, that God is a jealous God. This is not the first time. In fact, this is a reiteration of what He spoke in Exodus. So altogether, 25 times it is mentioned that God is a jealous God. So, it is confirmed. It is a confirmed character of God. It's not a fluke, okay? In the Bible, there's no flukes, all right? It's not even something that is symbolic. No. He is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. In fact, in Exodus 34 verse 14, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, it's a jealous God. His name is Jealous. See, He embodies that trait. The same way He is loving, 
The same way He is an infinite, sovereign, almighty God. The same way He is a holy God. In that same way, He is a jealous God. Weird? Interesting? Interesting, right? Yeah. You're probably wondering, isn't jealousy a bad thing? Isn't jealousy a sin? <laughs> There's even a Bible verse that says jealousy is bad, right? We, all, we, we hear this in all, all weddings, right? Corinthians, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Envy is like kind of jealousy, right? Right? So how can God, a good and holy God, be a jealous God if it is a sin? I think... It's right. You're right to ask these questions. It's good to ask questions about the Bible. Then you dig deeper. Then you go in deeper. And then you find the truth. And it's good to ask because most instances, the manifestation or the result of jealousy or human jealousy is ugly. It's bad. Therefore, when we think of God being a jealous God, we ultimately think, how in the world can a jealous God be good. It's because we think that jealousy is a bad thing, right? Now, you see, God's character and attributes usually emphasizes His goodness and His compassion. So if truly God is good and compassionate, then His jealousy should align to this somehow, right? That's right? Right? All agree, yeah? So you've agreed on this, so because God is good and compassionate and holy, therefore, His jealousy should be good. So let's split it into two types of jealousy then. The first type is human jealousy, where being jealous is wrong and is a sin. The second one is godly jealousy, where being jealous is right and is not a sin. So, here you go, human jealousy. I did a quick Google search. You can search anything on Google these days, right? So Google search, and it shows feeling or showing an envious resentment of someone or their achievements, possession, or perceived advantages. Envious resentment. Why is there envious resentment? It is because it is I want something that you have got. And I don't like you. Or sometimes I even hate you because you've got it and I don't. And I want it. See? We are jealous when we want something someone else has. And so I would say human jealousy stems from the selfish desires in our heart. And we are only seeking to seek honor and glory for ourselves through the various different things. It can be an object, like a toy, when it comes to kids. It can be great when it's a student, or maybe the latest Yeezy kicks, the shoes. Yeah, I don't know. Some kids will know Yeezy over here. Latest gadgets like the iPhone 13. For ladies, it could be the new Chanel 255 for the Lady Dior handbag. I don't know all this when I had to Google all this to find out. Yeah. So, or guys, it could be the latest car, you know. It can go beyond an object like a position or a job. And especially when 
someone else gets the job or the position that you've been eyeing for and working for the longest time. And worse is if you know that you are more qualified for the job compared to the person that got it. Mm. Then you'll start to feel, oh, there's this small part in you that keeps telling you that you deserve it more. You know, you're better suited for the job or the position compared to the other person. Or it could also be when we're scrolling Instagram and we see, oh, this friend go on holiday again. Uh. Every time I open the Instagram, uh, he's off somewhere in some world, some magical world. You know, like, oh, I'm jealous. Uh. I wish I could be there. I want to be there. You know, it could be that. And if all of this jealousy is allowed to continue and fester in your heart, it can lead to something ugly, like hatred towards the person that has what you want, or an undesired action that we might regret later on. So who here has felt that sort of jealousy before? I have. Nobody there to hand up. I'll tell you. I have. I have. I felt that kind of jealousy before. And I'm very certain that in our life, we all have felt that kind of jealousy before. Yeah, we're human. We are created in such a way that, oh, here's something I want. Oh, you know. So that's human jealousy. Now let's look at God's jealousy. God's jealousy. A theologian, Wayne Grudem, defines God's jealousy as God continually seeking to protect his own honor. And another theologian, J.I. Packer, he says, it is God's holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally precious. It is a praiseworthy zeal on his part to preserve something supremely precious. Now, what is the precious thing? It is his honor and glory and worship. Basically, God is jealous for his own honor, for his own glory, for his own worship, for his own name. And we, as human beings, when we seek our own honor and glory, we are denying what we are created and designed for, which is to glorify God. So when we seek our own honor and glory, we are going against our design. But this is not the case for God. God is the uncreated creator, the one that deserves all glory, all honor, all praise, all worship. So he is the one that deserves all this. We are the ones that were created to give him all this. So when we do not give him the honor, the glory, the praise, the worship, and we seek only to worship ourselves, we seek only to honor and glorify ourselves, now, that provokes God's jealousy because that belongs to Him. See, the best way to illustrate this, uh, God's jealousy, is a marriage covenant. A marriage love covenant without jealousy is actually an oxymoron. Right? If a husband and wife truly love one another, they will feel jealous if that love relationship is threatened. So husbands turn to wife and say, you see, you see? The wife turn and nudge them. Now you know, huh? now you know why I'm jealous. Huh? <laughs> 
So it is good. It is good. So in a marriage, this kind of jealousy is a byproduct of love. And it is evoked in a way of protecting the relationship. It's because we want to protect that relationship. We want to preserve what is valuable, what is beautiful, and what is supremely precious. Say example, I'm married to Lini, my wife, and I'm her husband. So if someone is trying to seduce my wife or getting a lot of her attention, or if she takes up a hobby that takes more place in her heart compared to me, hey, I don't think that's right. Uh-uh-uh. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I will be moved into taking action. As the husband, I have the right, I have the authority to step in and say, hey, now that's not all right. Hey, buddy, buzz off. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I I, I haven't come to that point. I've never really rehearsed. Maybe it's time. No, no, it's not. My wife loves me and she gives me all her affection. I mean, God first, then me, right? That's right, right. Okay, she's blushing. Can't see it through her mouth, but yeah. (laughs) No, why, why do I have that right? Why? Because I have the right to preserve the relationship, which is valuable, which is beautiful, which is precious. And human marriage is patterned after the relationship that exists between God and His people, us. So just as a husband properly jealous for the love of his wife, so the Lord is jealous for the love of His people, you and me. Now, now that we've established the difference between human jealousy and God's jealousy, let's move into the message. Today, We won't do three R's like I did yesterday, or three C's, or three something else, you know. We like to do that a lot here. But today we won't do that. It's going to be different today. Today I'll be asking three questions instead. The first question, what would stir God's jealousy? The second question, what are the repercussions of God's jealousy? And the third question, how does God react in all of this? So let's talk about what would stir God's jealousy. It can be, can be found in Deuteronomy 4 verse 23. Can I get all of you to help me read Deuteronomy 4 verse 23? 1, 2, 3. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that He made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You see, do not forget the covenant. Do not make for yourself an idol. One word sums it all up. Idolatry. We talked about this in the first and second service. So go back and listen to it. Idolatry. So repeat after me. Idolatry. One more time. Idolatry. You see, this in Deuteronomy 4 verse 23 is a reiteration of Exodus. In Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses to give to the Israelites. Now, in Deuteronomy, Moses retells of this, and he gives an account of what happened at Horeb, where God manifested Himself to the Israelites through black clouds and deep darkness and flames shooting in the sky. Right? 
So let's, let's read this in Deuteronomy 4, 15 to, 15 to 19. All right. One, let's read together. One, two, three. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or woman. Let's stop here for a while. You know, in Horeb, God did not reveal any form of himself, but he spoke to them out of the fire. You see, God is consistent in his actions and his words. He says, you saw no form of any kind. God did not reveal an image of himself. And then he said, do not make an idol for yourself or any image in any shape. He gave a literal command to not make an idol and he even said it through his actions. He did not reveal an image, no form of any kind. So we must be careful not to make any idols of God or anything else that would replace, that would take the place of God. Okay, let's continue. Verse 17. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. Verse 18. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. See, what, what is God trying to say here? What He's saying is, we should not make any image of God or a God from any image. Let me repeat that. We should not make any image of God or a God from any image. Now, you might, you, you'll be asking, why, why we cannot make any images of God? Well, I've explained it in the first and second service. I'm going to explain it here again. Because we would not be able to capture the very essence of who God is. No, with our limited mind, our limited capacity, our limited imagination, we are not able to encapsulate who God is into an image. And when we do that, when we attempt to encapsulate God in an image, we leave out things. We definitely leave out things. And what happens when people worship this image is they're worshipping a false God. Idolatry. Idolatry. That's why in Deuteronomy 4, it says, do not add or subtract from these commandments because when you add or you subtract, you create an image of God in your own mind that this is the God I'm going to worship. And it's idolatry. You're worshipping the wrong God. You're worshipping a false God. We need to worship the God of the Bible. Every single thing, every single word, it is true. He is that God. So it is idolatry when we worship a God where we portray ourselves, the image, okay? Now, let's read verse 20. Verse 20 gives the reason why we should never forget that we serve God or we worship God alone. Can you read with me? One, two, three. Out of Egypt, 
to be the people of His inheritance as you are now. You see here in this verse, it says, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt. The Lord took you out. He chose you and He took you out. Moses reminds the Israelites of their covenant relationship with God. And this is not a relationship where Israel chose God. You know? It's not a buffet line. There's this God, there's just that God, this God, this God. Egypt got a lot of gods. There's the sun God, moon God, crocodile God, every kind of God. And no, Israelites did not choose God. God chose them. God chose them. And the Israelites cannot dictate when or where they want to leave God. No. See, God handpicked Israel from all the people of the world. And Israel was enslaved by the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt. Yet God saved them from this iron smelting furnace. And see, the Israelites are described as the Lord's inheritance. It is a reminder of the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai to the Israelites, that they would be His treasured possession. And their portion, their part to play, was to obey the covenant. Obey God. That's all. Obey God. So it is an important reminder that He has redeemed us, and we are His possession. And we are to only love and obey the one true God. It is an exclusive relationship, just like a marriage covenant. It is an exclusive relationship with God, and we are not to forget that. No, God could have easily left the Israelites alone in Egypt, but instead, because He has covenanted with Israel, with Abraham, He redeemed them from slavery. In the same way, God could leave us enslaved to our sinful pleasures of this world. But He redeems us to protect us, to make us His own inheritance, His treasured possession, like a marriage relationship. He brings us out. He goes, hey buddy, back off. That's what God is saying. Now, come, follow me. Follow me. So as God's possession. We belong to God. We must listen to Moses' words carefully. Our God demands that we keep an exclusive relationship with Him. He does not accept partial devotion to Himself and partial devotion to the world. He is to be the center of our lives and our hearts, all encapsulating. So let's not forget our relationship with God. So let's say this to me. Do not forget our relationship with God. Say this. One, two, three. Do not forget our relationship with God. You know, many times in our lives, we forget our relationship with God. We forget God. And something else takes a hold of our heart. It could be ambition. It could be wealth. It could be material longings. And when we do that, we place something above God. And what is that? That is worshipping something above God, and that is idolatry. See, 
Your heart, when you place something above, your heart is now worshipping something else apart from God. Now, if you want to know what has taken hold of your heart, here are a few questions for you. What is it that you daydream about? Ask yourself this right now. What is it that you daydream about? What is it that you prioritize your time and your money? Mm -hmm. Where your money is, there your heart is. So what is it that you prioritize with your money and your time? What is it that you fear to lose most in your life? Or what would you give up everything for in order to have or to keep? Now, hopefully the first answer that comes to mind is Jesus, hopefully. However, if the answer is not Jesus, then we have a heart issue. We have an idolatry issue. And if we are honest to ourselves in this place, there are times, there are seasons where we place things above God and we go after things that are not of God. We, go, we don't go after God. We go after material possessions. If you're honest to ourselves, there are times. So, what would stir God's jealousy? Idolatry and forgetting who God is. So say it with me. Idolatry and forgetting God. Idolatry and forgetting God. So this is what would stir God's jealousy. Now, the second question. What are the repercussions? Deuteronomy chapter 4, 25 to 31, Moses tells the Israelites what will happen if they arouse God's jealousy by being unfaithful to God and worshipping other gods. Can you all read together with me as I drink water? Okay, one, two, three. After you have had children... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day, that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the people, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. So what Moses is saying is that the Israelites will be kicked out of the promised land and they will be scattered among the nations. And Moses predicts that while in the time that they are in exile, they will worship other gods and that these gods are worthless and helpless. They are made out of wood, out of stone. And it actually happened, right? The Babylonians came, conquered them, and in Babylon, they were worshipping gods made out of wood and stone. It happened. Further down the line, right? But first, they conquered the land, they won the, the battles, then they got comfortable. They got very, very, very comfortable, and they forgot who God is. And then, this is what happened. 
You see, in Exodus 20 verse 5, it says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, reiteration. Punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So what happened when God's jealousy is stirred? What are the repercussions? There is a judgment. There is a judgment. It's, it's serious. It's serious. And the punishment of idolatry is exile from the land, being removed from the land, and removing of the blessing, the covenantal blessing that God has. See, God says, obey these commands and you shall live. You should leave and occupy the land. But when you break these commands, the blessings of living is lifted and you will not occupy the land anymore. You will be removed. So if you break the covenant with God and arouse His jealousy, there will be judgment because God is a just God. But these judgments are so that we would turn back to God. It is not to kill you or destroy you because later you read. Later you read. It is to actually turn you back to God and remember, to remember our one true love. These judgments are so that we will realize once again that we need God. That we need God. You know, what are some of the judgments that we face today when, when God is no longer our number one in our hearts? See, there's a misalignment in our life and our destiny. It's like it's like when you do not get enough sleep, okay? The result of lack of sleep is what? You are tired. You're exhausted. Or when sometimes sleep is related to weight, right? So you gain weight. <laughs> you become grumpy or unhappy. In the same way when God is not dominant in your life. Why? Oh, really cannot close, huh? <laughs> so <laughs> when God is not dominant in your life, you open yourself to the desires of the world. You chase after material things that has no eternal value and when you don't find satisfaction in it, you chase after other things. And the cycle goes on long and long enough and then you start to wonder, why? Why this? Why that? Why am I not satisfied? Why am I not happy? And when you suddenly ask why, why, why? You know, you become lonely. You become depressed. Why I cannot get this? Why I cannot get that? It's a lot of whys. And all of this is because God is no longer dominant in your life. There are a lot of other things that could have happened. Now, this is just a very, very summarized version. There is also a spiritual exile. When God is no longer number one in your life, you begin to lose the awareness of His presence around you. You become dull in your spirit. No, people will be worshipping like the worship service was so awesome just now, right? It was so awesome. Seriously, it was so awesome. But you will go like, really, yeah? Was it really, was it really awesome? Was God's presence really here? See, your, your senses are dull. You stop seeing how God has always been working in your life and think that you are alone in this journey of life. So what are the repercussions? Judgment. Exile and the removal of blessing. So say it with me, judgment, exile, and the removal of blessings. One, two, three. Judgment, exile, and removal of blessings. Well, it's not all doom and gloom. Huh? But now, let's move to the third question. 
How does God react? So we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 to 30. Can you help me again? 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. If you t- Israel, see, if Israel turns and seek God with their entire heart, they will find Him. The same, if we turn and seek God with our entire heart, we will find Him. We will find Him. God will make Himself known. And why will God take us back? We can see in Deuteronomy 4 verse 31. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. See, He will not abandon or destroy you. Or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which He confirmed to them by oath. So why will God take us back? Because God is a merciful God and He will not forget the covenant He made. You know, typically when a covenant is broken, one party... Uh, by one party, the other party is being set free from that covenant, right? We understand, we understand this in marriage today. Once adultery exists, the terms of the covenant have been broken and the innocent spouse is set free from their obligations to the covenant. See, God proves His mercy by making an even more gracious covenant than this. It is better than a marriage covenant. Though the Lord's covenant with Israel stipulated the punishment by exile for idolatry and removal of covenantal blessing, this never meant that He would completely forsake His people, that He would abandon them. Though the Lord knew His people would be unfaithful to Him, He decided ahead of time, to never forsake his people completely. And this was part of the promise to Abraham way before Deuteronomy. And you see this, he promised Abraham way before Deuteronomy. When he knew, when he knew the Israelites will not obey and will put something else above their hearts, he was pursuing them way even before they were pursuing Him. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. See, here Moses reminds Israel that the Lord will be faithful to the covenant because He is a merciful God. And this reflects the love of God for us, the love that is jealous for us. That even when we continue to wander from Him, He continues to pursue us. So how does God react? He pursues and He is merciful. Right? Say this with me. He pursues us and is merciful. One more time. He pursues us and is merciful. Okay, number one. What would stir God's jealousy? And forgetting God. What are the repercussions? How does God react? The best reflection of this is actually in the book of Hosea. Hosea. Let me, let me do a quick summary of Hosea for you. 
Now, Hosea happened at a time where the Israelites have turned their hearts away from God. They've turned away from God, you know, and God sent them all sorts of things, sent them kings, wars, blessings, curses, everything under the sun to bring them back. But the Israelites would not listen. The nation of Israel began to decline and they've turned nearly completely away from God. And in response, God commanded Hosea, a prophet he commissioned to be an example to the Jewish people. He commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer to demonstrate to all of Israel what their relationship with God looks like. Imagine waking up one morning and being told that you are going to marry someone who would be unfaithful to you, you know would be unfaithful to you. And that was Hosea and Gomer. No, it was, it's quite a depressing thing because God told Hosea, don't just marry Gomer, but have children with her. And name your daughter, No Mercy. Wow. Name your daughter, No Mercy. I mean, we, we've heard of names, Mercy, right? But now it's No Mercy. You know? Literally, No Mercy. And name your son, Not My People. No Mercy and Not My People. From the looks of it, it doesn't look like the relationship is going to work out, right? Marrying a prostitute, not faithful. Your son is, your daughter is no mercy. Your son is not my people. I'm like, hey, no mercy, come here. Wow. <laughs> not my people, come here. <sighs> wow. So it looks like it's going to crash and burn. But then God reveals something to Hosea as he gave Hosea the plan. And it's in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16 to 23. I'll, I'll read it. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. He reveals a promise that one day the Israelites will come back. One day, Gomer will turn. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. Baals, the gods, the other gods. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lay, lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And in that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I call, not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people and they will say, you are my God. Now you see, despite all the hopelessness, all the pain that was happening, there is a promise, a promise of righteousness, of justice and mercy, that God will take the other names, the other gods out of the mouth of His people. He will betroth them. He will make a covenant with them, the marriage covenant. And that is God's desire that we should be Faithfully worshipping Him. So how do we fit in this story? Or how do we even fit in Deuteronomy? You know, we, like the Israelites, 
is the prostitute, is Gomer. We have turned and devoted ourselves to other gods many times. It can be money, it can be possession, it could be other people, it could be your children, it could be yourself. And we have worshipped them instead of worshipping the one true God. And our God is, as Moses puts it, a consuming fire, a jealous God. And that jealous God's desire is that we should worship and only know Him. And because He is a jealous God, and because He has chosen us, an adulterous people of His, of his own, an adulterous people, now He is moved into action. He's moved into drawing our hearts back once again. He betroths us to Him. He wets Himself to us. See, a jealous God will act to restore our relationship with Him. He brings judgment, but this judgment is to lead us back to Him. But He doesn't force us to love Him through that judgment. You see, God's jealousy is not a controlling jealousy. It's not, love me! No, it's not. It is, child, love. Will you come back to me? That's the jealous love of God. That's the jealous love of God. So if I can recap, what would stir God's jealousy? It is idolatry and forgetting God. What are the repercussions? It's judgment, exile, and the removal of blessing. How does God react? He pursues us and is merciful. Now, if the jealous, if the Lord is a jealous God, this changes the way we treat our relationship with Him. We'll be more careful in our steps. If we think that the Lord doesn't care when our heart is in love with other things that the world has to offer, now his jealousy will be stirred. If the Lord is not our passion and our desire, his jealous passion for our hearts is stirred up. See, now when we love and keep his commandments and put him first in our hearts, his judgment is then lifted up and his blessing returns. And what is this blessing? This blessing can be found in Exodus 20, verse 5 to 6. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Showing love to a thousand generations for those who keep, for those who love me and keep my commandments. I'm going to close now. And I want to share a testimony of mine. I've shared two testimonies in, um, in the first and second service. And that two testimony led to this testimony, actually. So if you want to hear, go and watch the first and second service. You know. So since the age of 12, 12 years old, you know, I, I've known that I've been called to be a pastor. There was a calling in my life. And I've always tried my best to steward that calling you know, in everything that I do. Because I know that one day, I will enter church full-time. And when I felt that it was time to enter church, which was last year, I can tell you honestly, it was a struggle within me. 
What's a struggle? You know, when you feel a struggle in what God has called you to do, you know that there is something that is competing for your affections that meant, that's meant to be for Him. So if I can be really honest with you, if we can be honest in church, right? I mean, if we can't be honest here, where else can we be honest, right? God was at the forefront of my heart. He was. He's number one. But there was a very close second contender in my heart. Very close. And that was a worry, a fear of not having enough finances. Now, God has blessed me when it came to my finances. You can hear about it in the first and second service. He has given me many testimonies, many breakthroughs in this area. But I have allowed the pursuit of these blessings to take a portion of my heart. Actually, that's a very nice way to put it. Lah. To put it bluntly, I've allowed the pursuit of money to take a portion of my heart. And if I were to be quite frank, God did not have the whole of my heart. That's why there was a struggle. It was a huge struggle for me. Yes, we are all work in progress. But this was competing for the same affections that I have for God. And when the time came that God wanted me to surrender my career to Him, I struggled. I was calling different pastors. I was calling them up. How do you go through this? How? Tell me how. I was talking to many different people about it. And instead of surrendering, I did the total opposite. I ran the other way. You know, I ran the other way. I tried to run. I tried to run. I was about to move into another company which would potentially expedite my goal of achieving financial freedom. All of us want to achieve financial freedom, right? But I want to expedite it fast because I thought once I achieve that, I can go full time. But no, that was not God's plan. You see, I realized that from that struggle, I knew that God did not have my whole heart. I did not give my whole heart to God. Something else had taken a portion of my heart. Something else. But you know what? I believe God's jealous work, jealous for me was at work. God's jealousy was at work for me. I know His jealous love for me was at work. I know. Because some unforeseen things happened, and the new company did not pull through. And I already had resigned from my previous job and I was left without a job. You see, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't very worried at the time because usually I would get calls from headhunters every two to three months. I would get a call you know, offering me different job opportunities. So this time I wasn't so worried, but at the same time I'm like, hey, hey, this is not right. This is out of the ordinary. So I decided to take a break from work. And because I knew that I was being called, and that was the season I was being called, right? And I was trying to run away and all that. So I thought, I've been through times where God has called you, and when you run away, you know, like, it doesn't really work out, right? So this time I thought, okay, okay, God, let's not try to run so much. Let's, let's pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God, Lord, you better give me confirmation. You better give me confirmation. But I tell you, in the back of my mind, I know that a headhunter will call me soon as well. So it was a backup plan. But in these six months, last year, through these six months, not a single headhunter called me or emailed me. It was a dry spell. It was very odd. 
odd, very, very odd. God took me through a six-month journey of pursuing finances to now pursuing God. And instead of being filled with thoughts about what job should I do next or how can I make more money, how can I invest, I was filling myself now with the Word of God, with worship, with testimonies of what He has done for me in the past. And MUFW was just launched. So I was going to His presence day in, day out. And I was anchoring a lot of midnight altars. You know, when, you cannot, when you cannot sleep and you worry, you go to God. You go to God and you be in His presence. See, what God was doing in those times, He was rooting out idolatry that I had, taking it out. Not to say that He wasn't number one in my heart, He's, he, he was, and He still is, but there was a close, very close second contender. And then, in this time, the second contender began to die. He started diminishing. If we are honest with ourselves, some of us, most of us, have a second contender in our heart. In my case, it was finances. It could be material possessions. It could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It could be a spouse, it could be kids. Anything that is taking the affection that belongs to God away. Anything. So in that six months, God drew me closer to Him, calling me, reminding me of my destiny, crushing all fears that I had about finances and bringing back all the different testimonies He has been blessing me with. And in that six months, my faith level began to rise again. And God was dealing with these fears. You know, when faith rises, fear dies. Says. I'm trying to make it sound good. <laughs> when, fear, when faith rise, fear dies. Alright, that sounds better, right? When, fear, when, when faith rise, fear dies. And with numerous confirmations, I knew that I was ready. And it was time. So I called Pastor Chu and I gave him an answer. You know, on that very same day when I told Pastor Chu, yes, I'm coming in full-time. It was the very same day I told God, yes, I'm going full-time. Guess what happened? <laughs> a headhunter called me. Oh my gosh, what? And it was a big company. It was a huge company. And they are looking to start a business hub here in KL. They know that my, in my experience, I've started different, different things before. I've started shared services here and there. And there was an opening for a chief accountant role to help to start the business hub. The headhunter said he wanted to meet me personally. He's going to bring his boss to meet, to prep me because he said, high chance, very, very high chance, very good likelihood that I'll get the job. On the same day, you know, what are the odds? See what is competing for your affections. There were two things competing for my affections. But because God, at this point of time, is now supremely high above because of the six months that He has brought me through. And also, my wife reminded me, you just said yes to God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for my wife. So I said no to this headhunter. I told him I've got a job. I would not be exploring this opportunity. And you know what? It wasn't difficult to say no. 
there was no curiosity to explore further. Okay, like maybe a bit lah. Got a bit lah, okay? But it didn't matter now because my heart is now pursuing of the God and the things of God. You know what? The headhunter ignored my email, totally ignored it, and sent me the budget instead for this position. He knew I was, I'm a finance guy, so he said, I'm going to speak your language. Here's the budget. And I can tell you, I have to admit, I paused for a while when I opened the email. I was like, but thank God for my wife. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty certain I would still have said no. I'm, I'm quite certain that I'll say no. Because I knew that this day would come and I would have to obey God. I would have to obey God. But if God wasn't high in my heart, if God wasn't number one in my heart, and I said no, there could have been resentments in the future could have been regrets. I, in the future, I could be telling God, you know, God, I gave this up for you. I would have said that, but no, honestly now, I can tell you, I'm not saying that. I'm happy. You know, for the past five months in church, I feel fulfilled. I feel satisfied. I feel alive. I feel alive even more so than I was in the corporate world. Because money or finances doesn't have a hold on me anymore. Don't get me wrong, money is important. You know? Having money is good, but it's not the most important thing in the world. God is, because He's the one that gives you that money. He's the one that provides for you. So because money doesn't have a hold on me anymore, and instead, it is God that now holds my heart. You know, I said to the headhunter, I'm not interested. Please don't contact me again. Now, there's not a tinge of regret from that. See, my focus has shifted from seeing my net worth to see God's worth. See, my focus has been shifted, a whole paradigm shift from seeing my own net worth now to see God's worth. And you see, for me to have said yes to going full-time, wasn't just because of that six months that God dealt with me. No. He was working way before that. He was giving me miracles after miracles after miracles in my finances because He knows this is my fear. And in my weakness, He is made strong. In my weakness, He is made strong. You take me out for a coffee or a meal, I'll tell you testimonies after testimonies after testimonies of God, of what God has done in my life. He was pursuing my entire heart before I decide to pursue Him with my entire heart. And He is pursuing you right now. He doesn't just want a fraction of your heart. He is jealous and He wants the entirety of your heart. Doesn't mean you need to come full-time or be a pastor. But if He's saying that, please come and find us, okay? Come and find one of your pastors. We would love to steward you in this calling. Please come find us. But what it means is that it's time to rearrange your life, to put God at the forefront. For some of you, instead of spending time looking at your investments, it's time to invest on spending time with God and His Word. For others, it could mean joining a ministry to serve because all you've been serving is yourself. Now it's time to serve God. 
For some, it could mean reducing your leisure time, your Netflix time. Ooh, a lot of people watching Netflix now, right? Reducing the Netflix time to prioritize God more. For some, it could mean waking up earlier, sacrificing that little bit of sleep, that little bit of comfort so that you can spend more time with Him. I know God is speaking to some people right now. In this worshipful atmosphere right now, let God move in this place. God is pursuing you this very day. Some of you, you've been running from God. You've been saying, I'm scared. I don't know what's in store. God wants to reassure you that His promises is yes and amen. Yes and amen. And in Deuteronomy 4 verse 29, it says, if from there you seek the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, you will find Him. This is the promise that you will find Him and He will be there for you. So when we turn our affections to God right now, when we turn our hearts to God right now in this place, going to ask the worship team to sing here bow and in this time of worship let us bow our hearts down to the King of Kings the Lord of Lords the one that wants our entire heart the one that has been pursuing us all this long and we being an adulterous people we being an idolatry people Lord, we always put things above Him now let us come back before God and put God at the forefront and put God and give God our whole hearts Let's worship God right now. I'd like to give a call now. If you heard this message and you want to know who is this jealous God, you do not know Him, but you want to know Him right now in this place. If you're online watching and you want to know Him, if that is you, who is this jealous God that goes after my heart even way before? I'd like to invite you to raise your hands right now. I would love to pray for you. If this is you, you do not know this God, but you want to know who this jealous God is, raise your hands up high right now. We'll love to pray for you. Thank you so much for your hands. Thank you. If that is you, online as well, and you want praying, Type it in the chat group. Go into the link. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed, you repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love, your jealous love 
that you would pursue me even before I was born that you would pursue me even if it means dying on the cross for me I thank you for that love and right now I accept you Jesus Christ the one who loves me so jealously I accept you into my heart I believe in you and I call you my Lord my Savior my King in Jesus most mighty name we pray Amen Amen if you have said that prayer we would love to continue praying for you and journey with you would you find one of the pastors here after this service now there's another call you've heard this message and now you feel your heart beating really fast that's because God is knocking on your door he says I want your heart I want the entirety of it I don't want a fraction I don't want a portion I'm not going to be satisfied until I get the whole of your heart if your heart is beating really fast right now God is speaking to you I want you to raise your hands when you raise your hands I know there are people their hearts are beating really fast right now and if you want to rededicate your life and you want to say God here is my heart here is my heart I surrender to you yes it will take time yes it's a process but God I start now here lift your hands up live it in such a posture that you are surrendering your heart and your life to Him right now lift it up Yes, Lord Jesus, you see this hands lifted up to you. You see this hearts surrendered to you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that your jealous love will pursue them, Lord. Lord, that we would be able to see how much you love us, how much you care for us, how you were pursuing us way before we started pursuing you. Let us open our eyes to see that, Lord Jesus. So we come before you today, Lord, with our hearts, with our hands, with our lives surrendered to you, Lord. Lord, won't you take it? Won't you take it? Start this process of surrendering bit by bit to you, more and more every day. Begin this process in our hearts. Begin this process in our lives Lord, that one day we will come to a complete surrender to you where we can say, you are my Lord. You are my my husband, I am completely surrendered to your will, to your call, to your longing, to what you want to do. Here's my life. Here's my heart. We love you, Lord. Jesus, most mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Amen forever forever yours we are yours lord we are yours come and have 
your inheritance which is us come and have your inheritance so Lord Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for your presence we thank you that you are changing lives you are changing hearts in this place we thank you that you are here with us so we ask Lord Jesus as we depart from this place that your love will continue to find us that your love will continue to pursue us Lord Lord we ask Lord Jesus that in the days and the weeks to come Lord Lord that you will capture our heart captivate our heart Lord captivate our heart so separate us now with your love grant us your protection Lord we ask Lord that as we pursue you Lord that it will be made known that you have been pursuing us all along we thank you Lord in Jesus most mighty name we pray Amen. 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 Amen church.